After being sentenced to four years and being being in there for like, you know, exactly one year before I got parole was the perfect amount of time. When I was in there, um, I knew I was gonna do something good before I went in. And then as I got in there, I got inspired um, by the sharing of food and the sharing of stories and the sharing of, you know, kind of hopelessness. And, and I wanted to turn that into hopefulness. Hey there, story sister. Welcome back to episode 66 of the Power Your Platform podcast. Today, I'm so excited to share with you the story of a young woman whose path has led her from addiction and a prison sentence to becoming the founder and CEO of a noteworthy Canadian entrepreneurial venture. Emily O'Brien is the brainchild behind Comeback Snacks, which is a specialty popcorn company that challenges the status quo. Now, after being sentenced to a four-year jail term stemming from her battle with addiction, Emily set out on a mission to get clean, transform herself, and make her time in jail as meaningful as possible. So having fostered an entrepreneurial career even before her sentence, Emily came up with the idea for Comeback Snacks, formerly known as Cons and Kernels. The popcorn brand uses high-quality, health-conscious ingredients to create unique flavors inspired by the ones Emily found and curated while in prison. Through her trailblazing efforts, Emily is an example that positive change can happen even within our correctional institutions with the right passion and drive and a positive mindset. Aware of the hardships of being incarcerated, Emily is now driven to help remove the stigma surrounding people with prior convictions, as well as giving them opportunities for reintegration through training, empowerment, and education. So in today's episode, Emily and I talk about second chances and the mindset it takes to come back from a devastating detour. She also gives us a behind the scenes look at how she created her business while still in prison and offers some advice for women who might be too ashamed or too afraid to share their own story. Now, as always, be sure to stick around right to the end of today's episode, because that's when I'll be sharing my top 10 takeaways from my conversation with Emily. For now, let's get ready to learn from a true comeback kid. Are you ready? Okay, let's turn up the volume and dive right in. Welcome to Power Your Platform, the podcast for women who are building bold story brands. I'm your host and story coach, Carrie Ramsey. Each week, we'll explore big ideas about brand building and shine a spotlight on courageous women just like you who are owning their story, following their purpose, and changing the world. Whether you're a story starter, a story builder, or a story pro, this podcast is for you. I'll help you move your mindset from uncertain to unstoppable and provide you with the storytelling tools you need to make a real impact. Because we all have a story to tell and somewhere someone is waiting to hear yours. Join us each week for inspiring interviews, aha moments, and step-by-step -step action plans that will provide the framework to help you create your very own purpose-driven platform. 
Are you with me? All right, it's time to power up. Hey there, Emily. Thanks so much for being a part of the podcast today. Welcome. Thank you so much. <laughs> I have to say, this is such a unique brand. Your story, of course, is remarkable. But what I love is that it's all about second chances. And so I can't wait to dive into the path that really led you to forming Comeback Snacks. So can you share with us a little bit about that journey? Because I know it was a winding road. <laughs> yes, it was definitely a winding, very, very winding, gravelly road with potholes. <laughs> Um, so it was about 2014, 2015, I was struggling with some personal issues, but I was also working a really great, like hectic job in Toronto. It was actually my own business, but it was like very involved. It was very events-based, lots of like big parties and stuff like that. So, I mean, I was drinking do and do using cocaine at the time. And then when things went wrong with my family, I kind of just used more of it because I didn't know like really how to cope. And as you know, as kind of typical as that sounds like we never really we can always say like oh we, sh we should have known better until it's like us right or we can always like judge other people it's like oh you should know better but like until it's us then it's like a totally different story and you know also when you have your own business there's this like kind of mentality where it's like just get through it just get through it just kind of shut up and do it right so there was that and I met someone actually through my work he was um a client of mine and he kind of told me to come up, but he wanted me to help him with his social media. So I went up there and we developed like a very, very close friendship. It was like a little bit romantic, but like not as like this, like full blown whirlwind romance. Um, but it was just like a very close thing that we had. And he's like, you know, what? like, let's go on a, on a trip. And I was like, okay, that sounds fun. And there's definitely some red flags, you know, um, some of his checks kept bouncing and, but I, he actually was sober and he wanted to like cut me I don't want to say get on a better path because like it was, my path was fine. It's just like my focus was off. Right. And my, my ability to kind of stay focused was off because of other things. You know, I was never going down a bad path before that. Like I was always volunteering. I was always mentoring. <laughs> um, so then I, so I trusted him and we go on this trip and I find out three days into the trip, basically that he's organized for us to bring drugs back because he was in some sort of debt. And I mean, long story short, literally like I'll make a long story short, it was turned into this whole thing where I just wanted to go home. And, you know, you think, oh, like, why don't you tell the police? You can't tell the police in those countries. You, you're, you're in the Caribbean with one person that you know, and you're suddenly involved in this high level drug trafficking scheme where, that you know nothing about, except that it's dangerous. And so I just wanted to get out of the country. And so I tried to do it, but I told them I didn't want to do it and I'd be really bad at it. I was bad at it and got arrested. Fast forward uh, two and a half years later, I was sentenced to four years in prison and I knew that this wasn't going to be the end. It was actually going to be, I don't want to say the beginning either, but it was also just like, I don't know. It was, it wasn't the beginning because I, I always had that good in me, but it was just like a recalibration of what I wanted to do and how I want to get there and how I was going to kind of use this of a time to learn and a time to help others and a time to make something good out of something bad. And when I got to prison, I met so many other people who were just in the same, same situation as me, just wanted a fresh start, but just wanted to have people understand that, that they weren't a, a bad person. Uh, but off, often society limits these abilities of people to redeem themselves because of the stigma. And I wanted to be part of helping people redeem themselves and also you know, myself and, and proving to my family that I, you know, this was never 
going to happen again. Nothing like this. Cause they supported me, but they were also kind of done with my, with my drinking and, and stuff because I, I drank before that I drank in my high school years. And so I knew that this kind of needed a change and it needed to be kind of nipped in the bud. So Emily, was that something you decided going into prison? You're like, okay, I know I've got this time ahead of me, but I'm going to make the most of it. Or were you like, I'm sure most of us would be like, just kind of terrified thinking, I don't know, I, I just want to survive the next four years. Like, it sounds like you had a pretty solid mindset going in, or was that sort of something that once you were in and had a bit of a routine, you, you developed, you know, while you were there? I definitely had a positive mindset going in because I was stuck when I was on house arrest. Like it was just, you don't know when the court dates are going to end or like, you don't know when your, these legal bills are going to end. I was still drinking, still kind of using because I was just felt, I couldn't talk about the case. And so I saw going to prison as something where I could actually be away from everything. And I know I needed to be away from it. And when, you know, the, the universe has a funny way of working, right? Um, after being sentenced to four years and being, be, being in there for like, you know, exactly one year before I got parole was the perfect amount of time that I needed. If I was in for 60 days, I don't know, you know, cause like, that's not enough time. It, like, may, I don't think it would have been enough time. Right. So when I was in there, um, I knew I was going to do something good before I went in. And then as I got in there, I got inspired, um, by the sharing of food and the sharing of stories and the sharing of, you know, kind of hopelessness. And, and I wanted to turn that into hopefulness. Yeah. So tell us then, of course, the story about the sharing of the snacks and obviously popcorn was a big part of that on the movie nights, I guess, that you had while in prison and the women um, sharing, I guess, different toppings that sort of led to this emergence of, well, let's be honest, you already had an entrepreneurial spirit and then it sounds like the light bulb went off. So yeah, describe that a little bit more for us. Yeah. So popcorn was one of the things that was definitely shared, but not, but it was also um, a way for people to share their like cultural foods with each other. You know, someone would make donuts and then we'd have, you know, Caribbean night and all the ladies that were from the Caribbean would like make their favorite dishes. And so it was not only a great time to experience different foods, foods, but also a way to bring everyone together. It didn't matter where you were from or what, what your crime was. Right. So um, it was really, really interesting. And, and just hearing, like knowing my story, I also learned that I was very lucky in the sense that I did have a very supportive family and popcorn ties in because, um, we are having like a super bowl kind of party and popcorn was one of my favorite things because it was like a lighter snack and coming, growing up with, um, an eating disorder in, in my teens, I knew I didn't want to, I didn't want this to like resurface in prison because it was a very high, um, you know, high anxiety environment, you know, you don't get a lot of exercise. You're just kind of sitting and we had access to different, um, you know, the canteen. So the, it's not like there's a shortage of food, right? Like we also, um, in women's federal prison in medium and minimum, you have access to a grocery list of items and you have a small, small budget that you can spend per week at $36 and one cent or $37. Um, and so, we cooked all of our own food. Um, so popcorn tied in because it was something that was important to me, important to everyone. And it was also something that um, I made kind of like a healthier snack. Mm. And so the toppings, talk to us about this, because that's when I first heard about this, I thought that is creative. I mean, I think that's at the heart of this. So go ahead and tell us about how then that, you know, that little snack led to the creation of what is now Comeback Snacks. Yeah. Um, so the first one, when I knew it was going to be something different and I knew I was going to take this whole popcorn thing and run with it or walk with it or jump with it, whatever I was going to do, 
Um, it was a combination of like spices because we had, um, we were able to buy like little spice packs that were like individually apportioned. And so one of the toppings was lemon, one of the spices was lemon pepper and the other one was dill. And we combined that into one. And I was like, I've never had a flavor like this before. It was just super, super unique. Some people would put like cinnamon and Splenda on their popcorn. Um, and then what I did actually, I would get like mac and cheese from the canteen. So I would buy the mac and cheese, like the um, like the cardboard box of it. And then I would put the cheese powder on popcorn. So it would be like cheesy popcorn. And so those are kind of the two original ones. And then sometimes I put peanut butter on it. And sometimes I'd put peanut butter and jam on it or peanut butter and honey. And of course you can't turn every flavor you like into a popcorn flavor, but um, we've, we've essentially turned the lemon pepper dill. Uh, we call, it used to be called jailhouse cheese, um, but now we're calling it like a triple cheese. And and then the peanut butter and jelly is also like now an unofficial flavor. So incredible. So you obviously <laughs> were just turned on to these flavors. Obviously, your imagination was sparked mm -hmm. and you started the business while you were in prison. Is that correct? Yeah. And so obviously you had some challenges because I'm assuming you weren't on the phone and you didn't probably have the Internet. So how do you start a business with a pad of paper and a pen? <laughs> and popcorn kernels and, and you have stamps right so um luckily I was able to access a library and so with that library I was able to get some academic research about like you know prison reform and st statistics on people that are involved in crime and why it's so difficult for them to re-enter the workforce and why we need to change it in order for to increase actual public safety help the economy and help society um, and so I would kind of do my research and then I would write letters to like certain figures and I'd read books and make all these notes. And then I'd also write blog articles about my experiences inside and just the stories that I learned from other people and everyone kind of like wanted to be involved. And then, um, one of my friends who I was talking to on the phone, like we did have like a little phone card, but it was pretty, pretty pricey. So again, I was lucky in the sense that I had people that would send me money for the phone because it was so expensive um and then we I talked to my friend and he's like you know what Emily I really want to want to help you with this and so we built like a he built a landing page on the internet well I was still uh, on the inside and we started uploading these blog articles before I got out and we had like an email address and so we we're already getting like emails about it before and then the warden this is like something that's never happened before in in prison I don't know pr prison in Canada um but the warden actually allowed for me to go out to an event um this was later on in my sentence you know after you know I'd had no issues and, and stuff um to go to an event called take back the night and that was actually to promote the popcorn and it was like a women's empowerment march and so this had never really happened and so that was kind of the first day that I was out I had like a little security guard with me and I was able to kind of go talk to people about taking back your your power after you know having it being being taken away from you Incredible. So obviously you've created this brand now it's out in the world, but at the heart of it is not just, it's not just about the popcorn and the flavor. It's about this mission. And so yeah. I want to kind of circle back to that because what is it like to have a mission driven business? That's really, I think it seems from all that I've read and absorbed at the, at the focus and at the forefront of your brand. What is that like? And what are the advantages of that, I suppose? So having a mission, I think, was the reason why I, I did it. You know, I've always been someone that has always done mission-driven work. Um, 
<laughs> even if it's um, like having a job at a pizza place in like grade 10, you know, it's like, I still want to learn how to do something. Um, but this one, this is so part of my like lived experience. And so I knew that I couldn't be really contested on my motivation for why I was doing this. Like I lived it, I did it. I, I did the wrong thing. And then I was going to do the right thing. And I knew it was going to come with like challenges, you know, which is obviously, you know, public perception or apparent public perception, fighting off, not fighting off people who are just, don't understand, but maybe fighting off like pure negativity. Um, but the advantages, the advantages of that are like, I guess, circling back are having something that you actually went through yourself. And so, you know, like exactly how it started years, maybe where it started years before and years after. And even though I'm done my parole, that doesn't mean it, it even ends here, right? Like I still am going to have other challenges, whether it comes to, you know, traveling or, I don't know, even just working with other organizations. Sometimes it's like, there's weird things like that. Right. And so I know that that's going to be part of my, part of my mission and then eventually getting a pardon. So you're not truly released from the system ever until you can even get a pardon. Right. So it's, um, you're still kind of monitored and everything like that. Um, so yeah, it's good. It's going to continue. And I know that's why it'll have longevity. And the more that I tell people about it, it'll, it just brings in more stories and more experiences that I can use to kind of build impact. Yeah. And that impact that you mentioned is, I think, you know, this idea that everyone deserves a second chance. Mm -hmm. um, what is sort of, would you say your message in terms of the reintegration, especially around women? We don't hear this particular subject. I don't know if I've ever heard of it um, being discussed. And so what, what do you think is so important that the public know that someone who really has no connection to the story and experience you've discussed, what is it important for people to know about the reintegration of women who have been incarcerated into the community? I think the reintegration has to start with healing. Um, and that can, most women that have been in prison have been, you know, through significant trauma in their life. Most, most of them were, were victims, right? So you can't really reintegrate until you've actually healed from something. Um, and often people that have experienced trauma or, or abuse um, go turn to substances and then they get into these bad relationships. And then that's kind of how you get into the, get down the road of, of a crime, unfortunately. Um, so I think people need to know that in order for anyone to reintegrate, um, even if we're trying to move from one place to the next, after any kind of issue, you need to heal first. And it doesn't matter if you're necessarily coming out of prison, it can be you're coming out of anywhere. It can be coming out of a marriage or going into a new family, right? It's like, you still have to heal from your old, old traumas and, and ways that you suffered in order to be your best self into your new life. Mm -hmm. So if we can kind of think of that, like as an, in an all encompassing way, it's like whenever we have to move from one thing to the next, um, whether it was something that we did or something that, you know, caused us to hurt someone like else, you know what I mean? It's, you still need to have that healing prior to that and, uh, or, or, you know, actual physical rehab, so, something like that. But the prison system just puts people in prison first and thinks, okay, goodbye. Like you're in this, you're in the community now and doesn't really give people a leg up. Um, yeah. sometimes they just chop your legs off. Yeah. <laughs> And we've all, you know, filled out job applications before where it asks the question, do you have or have you ever committed a criminal offense or anything like that? And we've unthinkingly just checked that box. Not really, I don't think, uh, considering all of the individuals who can't check that box or 
who they then are cut off from, you know, a, a meaningful employment, for instance. But I know that you have actually hired women in your company, you know, who have had a similar story. What impact do you think that that's having or what impact do you want to make? I think it should have the impact of not judging people by what they did in the first place. I mean, obviously I can't say that for all jobs because I understand if depending on the offense, like I'm not putting a blanket statement onto every, every offense that anyone did. Um, but I think within comeback snacks and we just hire people based on what they want to do and what they want to learn and actually being honest and open about their lives and actually being proactive in hiring people as opposed to having them fill out a box and do more outreach instead of just forcing people to feel guilty again when they have to fill out this little thing. So if you, you can have programs where you can tell people, okay, we want you to be a part of our organization because we want to see you grow. And also people that have been through tremendous adversity often have the best tenacity. And so a lot of employers definitely don't think about this, but more, more thinking about it now. I mean, there's huge movements going on in the States like JP Morgan, you know, a financial institution where you never thought would hire people with records is actually now going to hire people with criminal records. And even like gyms, um, Richard Branson um, has Virgin Trains in London, and they actually go into the prisons and recruit people and offer them jobs while they're still in prison. But when they come out, they have a job to get right, right into. So there are big movements happening all over the world. And I want to do it within, within mine and then also spread that it can be done through others, through, through proof and how, how it actually works. I love it. And I'm so grateful that you're providing us with that example. And so let's get a little more into the brand itself and talk about the product. Um, the popcorn industry is, is huge. I mean, it's, as you mentioned, it's a healthy snack. Uh, the market reports are showing that pop, uh, popcorn is extremely popular in Canada in particular. Why do you think that is? Uh, I mean, is it mostly the health aspect or what is it about popcorn? Do you think that is, you know, just it's integrated really into our lifestyle now. Yeah, I think it's something that's always kind of been around. Um, also the kind of, um, how do I call it? Like microwave popcorn is, is kind of dying out just because of, you know, the ingredients that are involved in the microwaving and, and like how the microwave works. So that's been a dying industry. So as that's died, ready to eat popcorn has been growing. And as well as, you know, caramel lines and everything like that. But what I noticed with them and why I kind of wanted to start comeback snacks was like, I didn't really notice any healthier lines. Like I knew there was like sweet and salty, that kind of stuff, but I was like, where's like the uniqueness in the flavor. And so other than having like the steep ones that people like, and that are, they're used to, um, I wanted to offer something a little bit different. And so in a way that kind of uses the flavors that people like the ingredients that people like that are healthy. I mean, we do have the caramel line, so that's, that's, you know, that's, there's definitely sugar in that, but having both options that are kind of, you know, they, they work with, or they, they're aligned with what people are interested now in, in putting in their bodies and, and what people are, expect from a food company, because people like to be informed. Right. So what's one of your top sellers then in terms of flavors? So I would say the, well, we're launching our two healthy flavors in next month. So we're really excited. We've been working on that for two and a half years. Um, but so currently I would say our pop, most popular ones are salted chocolate caramel. And we had to do a whole bunch of tweaking with the ingredients because we work with Neil brothers and we had to take some things out, put, put some things in because they have like, you know, a pretty regimented um, outline of what products they will distribute um, as part of their roster. And what else? So yeah, salted chocolate caramel. 
And then for seasonal, I would say it's like a nutcracker crunch. And then also um, the lemon meringue caramel is very popular in the summer. Mm, people are going to want to click on the show notes as soon as this is over to make sure that they know where they can go to, to pick up this popcorn. So I'm just going to give you a little head, heads up that that is going to be in the show notes. You definitely want to. So, I mean, I have to ask this question because movies and popcorn go together. So what is, this is just a crazy question, but what is like one of your favorite prison themed TV shows or series or movies that you would enjoy with comeback snacks popcorn and which flavor would you choose <laughs> i like the classics i like the like the shawshank redemption that's kind of <laughs> yeah absolutely and i would just pair that one with double coated caramel because it's original and it's um it's classic just like yeah. that movie i love it that's such an awesome movie one of the best ever yeah. Um, so what I love also about your, your story, Emily, is that you're not ashamed to tell it. Um, you actually on the product itself, well, first of all, come back snacks doesn't, I mean, it gives you a little bit of an inkling, but it doesn't tell the story. Of course, when you turn over the package on the back, there's the story right up front and center. And I love that it's done unapologetically and that it's, it's a, it's a comeback story. What? What, I guess, uh, would you say to someone who's listening right now who has a story that maybe they feel ashamed about or nervous to share with the world? Like, what, what would you say to that woman who's listening right now? She's being held back from sharing a story that actually might be able to help someone else. I would say that there's no worse feeling than feeling emotionally suffocated. And that's how I knew that I would feel if I didn't talk about this. And, and it can be like a little bit scary, but what I found so comforting and why I was going to share mine was I actually looked back on my past and knew that I was actually a good person. Like, it's so easy to just look at this one thing and be like, I can't ever tell anyone this and I'm a horrible person. So sometimes you actually have to look back on your past in a good way and, and remind yourself that you, most people have done really good things for most of their lives. And so start with that. And then also whatever like the subject is, there are so many kind of groups out there that have similar stories. Like when I was in prison, I read a lot of prison success stories. So it kind of kept me motivated. I kind of saw what they did, how they fought back, you know, what they, what they kind of gave up and how they gave it up. And, and with that sacrifice, what did they gain? And that is true, true freedom because you can be your best self and no one has any dirt on you. Um, so you know, you own it. If someone doesn't, if you don't own your story, someone else will. Mm, I love that. I'm all about owning your story. It is so refreshing to hear you talk about your story. Thanks, Emily, for being honest and vulnerable about it, because I really believe that you've inspired people listening right now. And in, in some small way or in some big way, there's an impact that you've made just by sharing the story even here. And of course, thank you for sharing it on the larger stage um, uh, when it comes to your business. If someone's listening and they want to learn more about you and Comeback Snacks, where can they go to learn more? Um, they can check out comebacksnacks.com. We have lots of resources on the page. We have lots of little videos, uh, kind of the path that we've been on and also on our social media, which is at Comeback Snacks on Instagram and Facebook. Or people can email me if they want to just ask me something, uh, emily at comebacksnacks.com. I love it. And we will make sure to link to those in the show notes so people can reach out. I love that on the web, on the website as well, it tells people where they can go and buy the snacks. So if you're yeah. wondering uh, where the store is in your local area, 
Um, I'm sure you can probably buy online as well, but I found actually a, a couple of other spots recently that I didn't even know. So I'm going to be heading there as well to enjoy that. Thank you, Emily, for sharing awesome. your story today and have a, have a beautiful day. Thanks so much for being a part of today's podcast. Thanks so much, Carrie. Wow, talk about a comeback story, am I right? I'm so grateful that Emily took the time to share her journey with us today and that she's dedicated her life to creating real change for women who are coming out of the prison system. So to learn more about Emily and Comeback Snacks, be sure to visit comebacksnacks.com or you can click on the show notes for this episode for the links to her social media and website. For now, let's take a look at my top 10 takeaways from my conversation with Emily. Number one, everyone deserves a second chance. Number two, always be on the lookout for new inspiration because you can find it in the most unexpected places. Number three, make the most of the resources you have rather than focusing on the ones you don't have. Number four, find collaborators who can help move you and your business idea forward. Number five, having a mission can help fuel your business, even on the days when you feel like giving up. Number six, your personal struggle is the key to making an impact. Never discount the power of your own story. Number seven, coming back after a personal trauma or tragedy always begins with an inner healing. Number eight, the more we take the time to listen to other people's stories, the more rich our lives will become. Number nine, sharing our own story can be scary, but it can also bring us freedom. And number 10, if you don't own your story, someone else will. So thanks so much for listening in to today's episode. I hope that you'll take a moment to share this podcast with others who might be interested. Because when you do, we'll be able to impact even more women and help encourage them to share their own story. Until next time, keep owning your story, following your purpose, and raising your voice. Because the world is waiting to hear your story.